Hello, Sherwood Baptist Church. I'm Tom Elliff, and I'm I'm standing in, or should say, I'm sitting in for our pastor, Michael Cat, who, along with Terry, is away for a few months sabbatical. And you know, and I know that during these days, uh, one of our responsibilities is to go faithfully before the Lord and to pray for our pastor and his wife just as we pray for our church. These are important days. And as I said uh, this morning, uh, I know the devil would love for us to say, well, we've been set back. And I think that at Sherwood Baptist Church, if we really grasp what the Lord is doing these days, we can say those were the days when the Lord challenged us to step up. And we determined that we were gonna do that and that they were some of the most blessed days that we have had in the history of our church. I know that's your pastor's prayer, and I know that it's a prayer of our church leadership. It's certainly my prayer, and I honestly, in the deepest heart, believe that it's your prayer as well. By the way, since this is an informal setting tonight, uh, let, and, and I hope you've, you've texted your friends and say, hey, you need to get on to the internet, and uh, we're having worship, and you need to join us for worship. But but let, let me say this. Um, this morning, uh, I listened to the message that I preached. A preacher ought to listen to his message every once in a while, and he's in real trouble if he goes to sleep. Um, I heard about a preacher one time who dreamed that he was preaching in his pajamas, and he woke up, and he was. Uh, anyway, <laughs> as I was listening to the message, um, I said in regard to an acquaintance, a man I had met, that, that he had been in that prison in Cuba and died there. Actually, um, he didn't die there. He died at, 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 I actually met him afterwards, in fact, when I heard him uh, speak on an occasion. So uh, um, he was in that prison for a long time, and what I said happened really, really happened. But I heard, I said, there, there is where he lived out his days as a prisoner and died. But uh, he died later after he was released from prison and had come back to American soil. I want to straighten that out just because I think it's important to be a person of absolutely integrity. And I think uh, you know that as well. And I I uh, don't even recall why or how I said that. It just was moving through that illustration, I guess. Um, anyway, uh, tonight I'm going to ask you to turn with me in your Bible to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And uh, as we look at this passage of Scripture tonight, we're going to look at what I call the first law for liberated living. This is law number one. I'm not sure we'll get to all four of them. There are four of them. And perhaps on four different Sunday nights between now and, and the next month or so, well, we'll get to all four of these laws. But here's the first one anyway. And uh, this is so apropos, it's so fitting for us as we are thinking and praying together about meet the need. And remember, when we pray about meet the need, we're, we're talking about people who have genuine need that we support all over the world, but we're also talking about our need to obey the Lord God explicitly and implicitly, just to, with total abandon, obey the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, you have your Bible open to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, and uh, let me give you a little background for the passage. 
and then we'll look at the law. The law is this, God owns everything, I own nothing. I mean, that's just bottom line, God owns everything, I own nothing. You say, no, I own something. No, no, you don't own anything. God owns everything. You may think you own some things, and that may create some problems for you, but God owns everything. You own nothing. Until you discover that and start living with that principle in mind, you'll never understand what stewardship is all about because a steward is someone who, who looks after something that belongs to another. I uh, remember talking to a very, very wealthy uh, rancher, and I said, boy, the Lord has entrusted a lot to you as we look out across the lands. He said, uh, he said well, he, I, in fact, what I said was, he's given you a lot. He said, he said, no, he hadn't given me any of this. He said, boy, am I ever glad. He said that this doesn't belong to me. I'd worry myself sick every night. He said, this belongs to God. I'm just the steward. He owns it all. I own nothing. Well, uh, we need to learn that lesson. If we learn that lesson, well, then when it comes to giving, uh, we've got no problems at that point. The Lord uh, just simply taps us on the shoulder or in the heart and said, this is it. Here's a nudge. And we say, yes, sir, it's yours. I'm nothing but a steward. The Lord owns everything. We own nothing. Now, the setting for this passage of scripture, it's really exciting. You know, David, King David, was not allowed to uh, to build the temple he'd wanted to, but because he was a man of war, God said, you've shed blood. You cannot... You can't do this. He had, he had in war also been dishonest and deceptive and, and immoral. And it cost a man and several men their lives. And so God said, no, there's no way that you can, uh, you can build a house for me. But your son Solomon came, uh, can. And so David said, I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to do everything I can to encourage Solomon in this. And so David gave this, this really big offering, which so inspired people that they began to bring their offerings. And when it was all over, they, in fact, the scripture says that the people, in verse 9 of, of chapter 29 of First Chronicles, the people rejoiced because they had offered so willingly, for they made their offering to the Lord with a whole heart. And King David rejoiced also. The, the temp, what they had brought for the temple was worth more than 300 million Dollars in our currency. Can you imagine what it was worth in their currency at that time? Incredible. And with it, of course, they built the temple there in, uh, in Jerusalem. Now, if you have your Bible open, what we're going to do is walk through verses 10 through 16 in the next few moments as we, we sort of prove and then put into practice this truth. God owns everything. I own nothing, all right? Now, let me just simply say that the first thing we must do, and you might want to write this down, just say, I must accept it. Accept what? That God owns everything, I own nothing. It's, it's hard to think of that sometimes. We think we own it, and, and we, uh, we get to warting and fretting, and we get to worrying about things as if we own them. When the truth of the matter is, God owns it. We have to take good care of it. We're to be good stewards. But in fact, we'll discover that when we're stewards, we ought to take better care of it than if we did own it because we are caring for something that belongs to God. And God has entrusted resources to you, but everything is his. Now, just to prove that, when we say, I must accept that, 
we must accept it on the basis of three things. First of all, God owns everything by virtue of creation. He created it, everything, the whole universe, everything that is in it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I mean, there's nothing made that God didn't create it. In fact, in John's Gospel, chapter 1, uh, we read that by him, by the Lord Jesus, Jesus was co-creator, were all things made. Without him was not anything made that was made. It is all his by virtue of creation. He made it. It belongs to him. Secondly, it's all his by virtue of operation. In other words, he, he, keeps it, he keeps it together. He keeps it moving. The scripture says in Colossians 1, 77, he said, by him, all things, he created all things, and he's the sustainer of all things. He sustains all things. In other words, he keeps them together. And then it's his by virtue of redemption. This world fell under the curse of sin. What did Jesus do? He went to the cross. And if you read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 2, then he became the inheritor of all of this. It is, it is his by virtue of redemption. The bottom line is the earth is the Lord's. Everything in this world belongs to God. God owns everything. I own nothing. What am I left to do? I must simply accept that. That's hard for us to do. We think that we own a lot of things, you know. I mean, it, it's just, we just, that's mine. This is, I, you know, I've got to take, you know, ever since I bought that. No, it's God's. See it as God's. Now, I, I was with a man one time who, who thought, as a matter of fact, that he was, he was um, uh, doing something very, very spirit, spiritual. And I, I think in his heart it was spiritual. Uh, he said, uh, I went through my house and, and everything in every room I gave to God. That, that, that bed is yours. That table is yours. Those chairs are yours. That desk is yours. That piano is yours. That sofa is yours. And he began to tell me how he went room to room and just say, God, I give this to you. I, God, I give this to you. And I thought as he was telling me that, well, he really couldn't give it to God. It was already God's. It was already God's. God owns everything. We own nothing. We must accept that. that. That's part of this principle. All right? The second thing we must do is we must affirm it. Now, David accepted this. Listen to his words of acceptance. He says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power. I'm reading verse 11. And the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that's in the heavens and in the earth Yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Riches and honor come from you. You rule over all. In your hand is power and might. It lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. In other words, he's saying, God owns everything. I own nothing. He owns it by virtue of creation. He owns it by virtue of operation. He keeps it together. He owns it by virtue of redemption. I must accept that. But the next thing I must do is affirm it. Now, what does that mean? I'm going to be tested over and over and over and over in my lifetime as to whether I really believe that. Did you know that one of the reasons for uh, the, the coming to the temple and the, the offerings and the special days in the Old Testament, if you read the Old Testament carefully, you'll discover that one of the purposes for that, one of the reasons 
was to get Israel unto the temple and under the teaching and preaching of the word constantly. God was bringing them there to keep them in a humble position so that they would affirm, hey, this, this is God's. It's not mine. But I have this huge responsibility for being a steward of what God has entrusted to me. And I need to affirm that constantly. Our weekly offerings, or however you give, and I'm sure you give regularly because that brings you under the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God. Those, those offerings are, are for that purpose, to affirm that we really believe God owns everything, including me, and I own nothing. I'm simply a steward. Now, how do you affirm that? Well, listen to David. In verse 13, he says, Now, therefore, God, we thank you and we praise your glorious name. So first of all, he came to the Lord with gratitude. And that's the first thing we must do. We must be grateful people. Are, are you a, a grateful person? I mean, come, come on, you and I know the truth. Uh, no, I don't know the truth. I know the truth about me. You know the truth about you. Do you believe God looks upon you as a grateful person? Or are you always grousing about, oh, this is not enough, and that's not good enough, and I wish I had more, and they've got better, and, you know, this, this world's going to hell in a handbasket, and I can't do anything about it, and I just, you know. Or does God look at you and see you as a grateful person? Lord, you've given me another day, another day to praise you, another day to love you, another day to live for you, another day to share the gospel, another day to experience the fact that you supply every need I have. Oh God, I am so grateful. You know, people who are truly grateful are, are you know, they're easy to spot because there are not that many of them to be perfectly honest. Um, are you? I mean, do your children, if you're a parent, think of you as grateful? Do your parents, if you're a child, think of you as grateful? Do you ever say thank you? I, uh, I was in a grocery store one time, and, and uh, this kid grabbed something, and his mother bought it for him at the cash register. And, and she said, what do you say? He said, thank you, thank you. It's not grateful. He, he wanted it. He demanded it. He got it. He wasn't grateful for it. And I walked out of that grocery store saying, Dear God, I'm afraid you just showed me a picture of me. Gratitude. Genuine gratitude for what God has given to our watch care, entrusted to us in this world. What a blessing. So we affirm our understanding that God owns everything. We own nothing with our gratitude. Secondly, we affirm it with our praise. What does it say? Now, therefore, God, we thank you. We praise your glorious name. Do you praise God? Do you freely praise God? Do you readily praise God? Do you look for opportunities to praise God? One of my mentors who passed away over 100 years of age, by the way, said that this, this was his life's purpose, to leave every man or woman with whom he came in contact 
with eternity in view. Do you leave people with eternity in view? Man, I praise the Lord. I thank God for this. Oh, I just thank God for you. I, I praise the Lord. Are you a person who praises the Lord? Or are you a reluctant responder when it comes to praise? Oh, well, it's time for the praise service. We'll get through this, and then we'll get to the preaching. And But does God find you praising him when you're alone? Not when other people are looking on or it's expected. Did you just spend time praising the Lord for who he is and for what he has done and for where he is? Do you praise the Lord? And so that's how you affirm that you truly believe God owns everything. You own nothing. You're grateful for what he's entrusted to you. And you praise him for who he is. Now let's look at number three. First of all, I must accept it. Secondly, I must affirm that principle. God owns everything. I own nothing. Here's the third thing. I must apply it. I've got to put it to work. Now how, how did David do this? Now I want, to, I want to give you three things that we can see in this scripture here just in, 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 as we look at it. These jump out at us, but these can be revolutionary for you. I mean, they have been for me and for Diana. I mean, uh, these, are, these are principles that, that, that we love to, to consider. I hope that you do as well. First of all, you must never lose sight of the fact that God can give you a life that exceeds your greatest imagination, your greatest expectations. He can give you more. God, he's eager to do that. He is eager to give you a life and an experience that exceeds your imagination, exceeds your expectations. Notice what David said. He said in verse 14, Who am I and who are my people? that we should be able to offer as generously as this. Here's the secret. All things came from you, and out of your hand have we given you. It, it's from you. We just turned around and gave you back what you entrusted to us. Do you get the principle? As you learn to give from God's hand, you move into a, a level, not just economically, but you move into a life that exceeds every expectation. You go beyond the limitations of your mind. Who are we? Who are we? These? How in the world did we do this? Out of your hand have we taken, into your hand have we given it? And so if, if you want to understand, if you want to apply this, you have to understand that this is, this is something that God is eager. He's ready. He's willing to, to do. He's just waiting for you to apply that in your life. The second thing that you need to understand is that, that everything is time sensitive. You don't have forever to get around to, to op putting this principle into operation. This world is time sensitive. Notice verse 15. David says, for we are sojourners before you. We're tenants. We're not here as permanent occupiers of the land. We're tenants as all our fathers were. Our days on earth are like a shadow. 
There's no hope. In other words, we're we, it, it, it's here and gone. And you apply this principle that God owns everything. You own nothing. As you say, wait a minute. I need to live by that today. This minute. With what I have now. Not with what I wish I had. Not with what I want to have. Not with what I'm trusting others to have. But God, you own everything. I own nothing. You have entrusted me stewardship over certain resources. I don't have forever to obey you. We are sojourners, said David. This is a this whole experience is time sensitive. It will be played out in the hours that you are alive. Here's the here's the third thing you must understand. And that is God's idea is for you to be a river, not a reservoir. He wants you to be a river, not a reservoir. Notice what David said in verse 16. Oh, Lord God, all this abundance that we, we thought, we have provided to build you a house for your holy name, it's from your hand, and all is yours. It, it came from you. I mean, we just let it flow through us. Now, some people would have to say, well, Almost everything that God gave me, I didn't let it flow through me. I built a dam, and I built it up, and I built a reservoir, and I sat on the edges of the banks, and I bragged on what all I had, and it was all coming from God to start with, and one day it sort of dried up, and one day I died. And God is saying to you, it's time for you to be a river, not a reservoir. All this that we have given came from you. It's out of your hand. I think about... Uh, uh, back when I was just a little boy, my sister Sandy and I, who's just slightly older than I, she wouldn't want me to say that. But um, uh, when it came around to Christmas, we didn't we didn't have anything to give our parents for Christmas, and we wanted to give them something good. So one day, while they were busy in the other end of the house, we went into their bedroom and we started snooping around like we shouldn't have, and we started reaching way back. In this chest of drawers was there, and uh, I, I laid my hands on a shirt, and uh, Sandy, I think, got a tie that she found that she had never seen my dad wear, and we took those. We ran out of the bedroom, and then we went to our rooms, and we wrapped them up carefully, and we put them under the tree. Those were our gifts to our parents. And we thought our parents were because they hadn't seen them. You know, they, they would say, oh, this is just so wonderful. Which, you know what? They did. They loved it. Oh, my goodness. What a great Christmas gift. But you know where it came from? It came from their hand. They gave it to start with. If we will learn this, God owns everything. We own nothing. If we'll accept it, if we will affirm it, if we will apply it, it will revolutionize our lives. You know, um, some years ago I was, I was visiting in Cambodia with um, one of our children who was a missionary over there at the same time with his family, her family, and, and uh, they're now living in... in uh, uh, the Middle East in a very, very strife-torn part of the world, as a matter of fact, ministering to displaced people. 
But at that time, they were in Cambodia. And, I, you know, you have to have a, an ability to learn a language. First of all, they speak fluent Khmer. That's Cambodian, one of the world's most difficult languages. And now they speak fluent Arabic. And I don't understand how they can wrap their minds around that. But there we were, and uh, we, we went to visit a, a physician in, in a hospital. And it was just a... I, I, I cannot tell you um, how abominable <laughs> to me this hospital was, given what we understand of medical practice here. People were sleeping on the stairs of this hospital. Uh, people were in rooms, uh, sometimes two people, uh, patients to a bed. And uh, family members would come. If they ate, they, the family had to bring it. And so they would come, and they would cook things out in the yard, and they would take it up the stairs and to these people. That's the only, only way they had any food. There was no hospital service, nothing, not, nothing like that, not at all. And uh, one of the surgeons was a truly born-again believer. I mean, he love Jesus with all of his heart. He had been trained in the Soviet Union of all places. And they wanted, they, they said, hey, you know, you're so smart and you're so good. You don't even have to go back to that rat hole back there. And he said, no, I, I really, I really feel like that's where I want to go. And he said, I, in my heart, I was called to come back here. And they said, well, you know, he, 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 at that time, was making about $15 a week. Yeah, just barely enough to stay alive. And uh, so we, he said, let me show you my surgery. And we went into this surgical room, and it was terrible. I mean, the equipment looked like it was from the 30s or 40s, and it was old and somewhat rusted. They had uh, to cool the room. They had an, an old, weak window unit air conditioner and just a few surgical tools, just, just a very few surgical tools. Uh, he worked there tirelessly. I mean, this was about mid-morning. He had already delivered five uh, babies, and this was this was mid morning, and he had the afternoon and evening before him. He um, was standing there on this floor of this surgery. Uh, he was wearing galoshes. That's all he he had. Did. I'm talking about with the buckles and everything. He just that's what he was wearing to keep his feet clean. But never do I think I've met a happier man. I mean, I've met people as happy, but never happier than, than he. He rejoiced because God had, listen to this, entrusted to him the privilege of bringing life into the world, for instance, the privilege of preserving life, but most of all, the privilege of sharing the truth that Jesus saves I said, do you ever feel like maybe you made a mistake and you should have stayed someplace else? He said, oh, no. Oh, no. He said, this, 
is a wonderful trust from God to me. I love it. Here is a man who had learned God owns everything. I own nothing. What he's given me is the privilege of being a steward over what he entrusts to me for this time in my life. And dear friend, let me just say to you, if you can grasp this principle, if you can accept it and affirm it and then apply it in your life, it will radically revolutionize your life. And if as a church family, during these times when the whole world expects us to be anything but hopeful, if you will say, dear God, I'm going to obey you and I'm going to pray that my brothers and sisters here at Sherwood, I'm going to pray that they grasp this and affirm it and apply it. Well, uh, can you imagine what God could do with us in the most difficult of days? Think about it. God owns everything. You me own nothing. I own nothing. You own nothing. We're just stewards. Let's be good stewards in the days that are ahead. God bless you. I look forward to sharing you from with you from his word next week. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your love for us. Thank you, Lord, for these wonderful principles from your word. This first one that just sets us free, liberates us. You own everything. We own nothing. I can hear a collective sigh. And on us is this responsibility of being a steward of what you entrust to us. And, Lord, we can do it. We can do it by your grace, by your grace in your name, through your power. We can be the stewards you want us to be of all you have entrusted to us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I uh, look forward to sharing with you, as I said next week. Tell your friends about this. You already do. And I know that these are strange times, but let's step up, not step back. Let's step up and let's be the church, all right? God bless you.